0: This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder, how can we get more feline visits? Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the tougher topics that we deal with on a daily basis is how can we make our visits, our examinations, our experiences better for our feline patients, and their moms and dads. And this week, we've got a very special guest, a highly credentialed and experienced expert with all things behavior. But before we get into all of that, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward.
1: I'm registered veterinary technician,
2: Becky Mosser. And I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm super excited to introduce Tabitha Cusera, who's been a registered vet tech and took it even further than that, so who became an entrepreneur and an advocate for cats throughout the country. She has some amazing certifications that we're going to talk a little bit more about as we go. So she's a certified cat behavior consultant with the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, as well as a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner. And she's going to talk to us a little bit more about that certification and why veterinary teams should definitely know about that. She's low stress handling certified, fear-free <laughs> level three certified. So, so she, and she's been the president of the Society of Veterinary Behavior Technicians. So when it comes to behavior in cats, she's got it all under wraps. And we can't wait to talk with her more about making these kitties happier in our clinics. So Tabitha, welcome. Thank you for
3: being here. Thank you, here. Tabitha. Thank you so much yeah. for the invite. I love to talk about cats all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we love it too. So Tabitha, just rewind the tape of your life, if you will, and explain a little bit, how did you get into being a veter- veterinary technician?
3: So growing up, I have the story of a lo- that a lot of us have. Growing up, I loved animals. I had tons of animals and um, in high school, I actually didn't want to go to college, which is fun. I was an angsty kid. Um, I wanted to be a journalist and just go to concerts. And then um, <laughs> I realized that that isn't realistic. Um, so I met a veterinary technician and realized that this could be a career because when I was younger, I didn't know that. We all hear about vets, but we don't really hear about veterinary technicians as much. Right. So I found out there was an accreditation school for Becoming a vet tech and went to school. And that was when I was in my 20s. And I'm so thankful that I found what I wanted to do at such a young age because I still, nine, 10 years later, love what I do every day.
0: Well, Tabitha, on, on our podcast over the past few years, we've talked a lot about the need for credentialed veterinary technicians. But, you know, many times people kind of come to this path through. A very circuitous route. Uh, how did you recognize back then that you needed a formalized education to do this job, as opposed to just working at a vet clinic?
3: Thankfully, I growing up, I worked with a lot of shelters, so I met a lot of registered veterinary technicians. And in my brain, we were all most of them were credentialed, so that was just kind of my go-to. I was thankful to be around so many wonderful registered veterinary technicians working in school. And even at a young age, I do love certifications and credentials, as you can tell. Um, So when I realized that there was a school near me, I was all about it.
0: Wow, Tabitha, I got to tell you, that is just making my heart swell with joy and pride, because we know that if young people are exposed to the experts that you are, they're going to follow this path and this profession is going to transcend, you know, this sort of homegrown veterinary technician status that we've had the legacy of. And and I just love, thank you so much for sharing that with us.
2: And it's clear that that love of certifications didn't stop with just (laughs) veterinary school. So I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit more about what happened next. So so tell us about your journey into practice, how you discovered this love for for cats and behavior and, and where you went next.
3: So Working in, after I graduated and passed my VTNE, I worked in a lot of small animal practices, but I also was really involved in animal rescue and farm sanctuaries. So I like all the animals um, and working in small animal practices and rescues, I saw a lot of cats who would get euthanized or relinquished due to behavioral issues that were really preventable or the owner's could have help, but they didn't realize help existed. I also met a lot of cats and euthanized a lot of cats, well, the veterinarian, of course, the same day. And these owners weren't malicious, they just didn't realize their cats were sick until way after the fact, because we all know cats don't show pain like other species. And it really got me into, why is this happening? How can I prevent this? So I literally just read every cat behavior book, went to tons of continuing education, And then I realized there's a certified cat behavior consultant certification. So I worked towards that. And then it became my goal to educate as many people as possible about why vet visits are so important, why cats don't show pain, and just cat behavior in general. So... I, I love that story because I
1: kind of met you right at that point in your life. And so um, the first time I met Miss Tabitha, I was speaking. I don't I actually can't remember where. And she stood in the line afterwards to talk to me. And she was the last in line. And she just kind of stood there beaming and adorably was just like, I love you. I want to get to know you. I want to be friends with you. I love your energy. I, I like I just want to I just want to be in your life. And I was like, then be in my life. Let's be friends. And of course, we did what all friends do. And we became official on. Facebook. And kind of through that, um, I kind of know how the rest of this story pans out because I I like to take a tiny bit of credit in coaching you to the next step. So tell us a little bit how you went from having these certifications, being in day practice, finding this passion to becoming an entrepreneur and, and, uh, you know, really making this your area of expertise and making a change in in the technician
3: world. So that's a wonderful leeway. So as a veterinary technician, I was working about 45 hours in general practice and helping tons of cats. And then I realized in exam rooms, I don't always have the time to educate the clients as much as I need. Like I give them the medications, but I don't get to talk to them about medication training. So Mm -hmm. I literally just started writing lectures and presenting at my local libraries because I'm like, if clients want to learn more, this is a a forum where they can come to learn more. And then based on that, I started speaking a lot more all over the place. Um, And people kind of got to know me. I'm also really into fear-free and low-stress handling. So I like to show other people how this helps other cats and makes our jobs easier. And over time, I said yes to everything. Um, I met a lot of great people. And now I'm in a place where I could not realistically work in general practice because of all my other lovely opportunities. So I actually recently made a Really difficult step, and left general practice in the last few months to fully focus on my cat behavior consulting business as well as education through writing and speaking.
2: Congratulations! It's amazing, That's so right? Exciting. Yes, yeah. yes. And then I, I'm interested, like making that leap. I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, making that leap into okay, how do I make this something that can support me, something that can make me money? Um, how comfortable was that leap for you, or were there some struggles that came along the way?
3: I wish I could say it was easy, but it was not. Um, Leaving general practice was, was a big, huge leap for me. And I think I personally struggled with that a lot because I think a lot of us feel like if we're not working in general practice, we're not veterinary technicians, which is absurd. Um, But that's something I really struggled with and have come to terms with because the amount of education that I'm providing other people. I always joke with rescues, like I'm saving so many cats by educating people about cats Mm -hmm. versus starting my own rescue. Um, So it was a huge leap for me. It was difficult, but now I can't imagine doing anything else. And every leap I've taken, even if I failed, it's helped me learn and it's really worked out for me. (laughs) So I highly
1: recommend it to everyone else. And and that's exactly right. And It's one of the things I, I really love about you. And it, it's kind of my point about the way you introduced yourself to me is in this, especially between girls, there's so much bullying and it's hard to get along. And, you, you know, you're just a person who's so kind and genuine and you just um, put it out there for face value. And it makes you so approachable. And I think that has a lot to tie into the way you work with cats. And I think that is um, a personality approach, but also the way you're able to really educate these clients. And I think you're absolutely right. As a a technician, he's not in GP anymore. It it, it feels hard, right? Like you're like, this defines you. So um, I really appreciate that you're able to talk to that point about how hard it is. But But kind of going back to that, you know, in that in taking that separation and in being able to help so many around you, how did you kind of start to build that foundation? And how are how is that looking for you? What are the most important things you're getting out there as messages that are driving you?
3: So fear free and low stress handling and helping veterinary professionals and shelter professionals work with animals easier and better understand them is probably my hugest passion. Um. Because I I see the difference in what it does versus the techniques I learned in school. Personally, I have not done those, the scruff and stretch or the hold the dog close to our bodies tight, in over like four or five years, but that's what I was taught. I didn't know any other techniques. So I know I feel personally like we're not setting our technicians up for success. So that is a really big factor for me in helping to teach other veterinary professionals and shelter professionals how to work with animals, how to better understand their body language so it's easier for all of us. And then I'm also really passionate about letting the general public know that cats are painful right? and what that right. looks yeah. like because pain is so underdiagnosed in cats, it breaks my heart.
0: Well, you know, Tabitha, one thing I'd go back to what Becky said, and I think this is something that our profession struggles with, and, and that is the fact that there are clear differences between dogs and cats, but I'll take it one step further. There are clear differences between many dog people and cat people. And yeah. so with that in mind, you're clearly a cat person, am I right?
3: Yes, I love dogs too though.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. But and again, see this is where part of the struggle is. We instantly have to apologize. And I think that right. if you're listening today, we need to to sort of understand that there's nothing wrong with saying no. Actually, I really dig cats, you know, and dogs are fine, but they're just not my thing. Like we don't have to always apologize. And so Tabitha, I think as we move forward, as we move this issue forward in our profession, I think we're going to have to clearly start to make some delineations between that. So getting back to this, you have focused on feline behavior predominantly, but you've also done some things in the dog behavior world. Maybe could you just uh, share a little bit with, with what you've done there as far as behavior training and credentialing?
3: with the Karen Pryor Academy, you learn a lot about how animals learn. They focus mostly on dogs. We actually train a dog throughout the workshop, but a lot of what I learned, I use to help train cats as well as other species. And it's taught right. me a lot about how to communicate with owners and reinforce them for stuff, which has been really helpful as well.
2: Yeah. And I think for a lot of veterinarians, myself included, we can struggle to figure out which of the certifications for training when clients are looking for something outside of what our our clinic provides, which ones are going to be positively based, which ones really require that people put the work in and be tested on their skills.
0: And require even continuing education. I mean, a exactly, lot of the credentials exactly. just are a one and done.
2: Exactly. And so I think you were mentioning something about just how, you know, the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, with, you know, interacts with Karen Pyron and, and other veterinary behaviorists, that seems to be one that, that everyone's kind of on board with.
0: Right. Yeah. It, it, what would you recommend, Tabitha, like to, to a general practitioner or a veterinary technician who's listening today? What are the credentials that you prefer when it comes to like behavior counseling?
3: If you really want to learn more about behavior and this is your thing, which is awesome, I personally really like my credentials because I've done a lot of research too. And there is so much out there. And when it comes to the bang for your buck, because finances is an issue and the amount of knowledge I'm getting from each certification, I do feel that Karen Pryor Academy is really helpful. And then with becoming a certified cat behavior consultant, unfortunately, there's really no classes that get you to that point. It's more we're gonna have you apply and make sure you have the knowledge and then we accept your nots. Right. So it's more of an application process. They don't really teach you.
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. So you have to kind of build that knowledge first before it's something that you kind of reach out for. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So Tabitha,
0: let's let's now bring it back to that everyday exam that we sort yeah. of teased in the beginning. What are some of the steps that you wish all veterinarians and registered veterinary technicians would take to encourage feline visits?
3: I would love for us to just start the conversation about cats needing to go to practice or it, to general vet visits. I commonly see cats go to the vet when they're kittens, and then they don't come back until right. they're really, really sick. Right. And I think a lot of that is just the general public's idea of what cats need. They feel like indoor cats don't get sick. That's a really common myth. So us addressing that at that first vet visit, educating them. You can do this through having kitten kindergarten at your practice, or even if you have a technician or a veterinarian that's into behavior, empower them and have a feline behavior basics lecture at your practice to help teach them what cats need and why they need to go to the vet twice a year, once a year, why we're doing blood work. Um, for example, when a veterinarian's doing an exam on a cat, I'm a really big fan of them narrating what they're doing. I'm palpating the abdomen to look for this and this. Because many clients, even though the veterinarian's doing a wonderful job, they literally think the vet's just petting the cat. And they don't understand the value of what that veterinarian's doing.
2: I love that. And I'm always really curious about what words people use. And I'm interested in, in everybody's, Dr. Ward, Becky, Tabitha, what words you guys use to have that conversation. For me, it's often at that kitten visit, just letting folks know that Personally, I feel like that regular exam and regular lab work for cats is even more important than it is for dogs. And I tend to see a look of surprise on people's face when I say that. But then I say I think cats are a lot better at hiding their symptoms. And I share stories about, you know, in any given month, having several cats who come in who unfortunately are knocking on death's door because they've had kidney failure for two years. And we never knew that because we didn't have that chance to see them in for an exam, to do blood work, to feel their kidneys, things like that. So so that's kind of the story I tell. But curious um, how you guys describe that as well.
1: Yeah, I think I think you make a really good point because our clients do have these preconceived notions. And so to sort of to that point, one thing I like to make sure I bring into kitten visits or when I'm talking to cat owners is to talk about what it should look like. I think we have a lot of preconceived notions on every side. And, you know, we know that people think that cats should look obese. That's what they think they should. You know, people right. love a big fat cat. Right. And it's hard to let them know <laughs> that's not, not me. a thing. Um, <laughs> you know, that's true. Not you, Dr. Ernie. So, you know, I, I think that's really important. And, and I love what you're saying as far as getting the importance in there as kittens. Because you're right. That's the moment we have to capture them. What do we do? What are some tips and tricks for people out there in practice who, you know, it, it, it isn't the kitten visit opportunity? How do we capture those clients that have cats that don't know it out there? What are some great ways to, to get them in the clinic?
3: So I'm a big fan of education. Clients love it too. So again, if you have a staff member that's interested in behavior, not even to the extent I am, just have a feline behavior basics course or class like one evening. That's going to bring so many new clients to your practice and let them understand what appropriate cat behavior is. Like it's appropriate that cats don't show pain, which is why it's so crucial. You bring your cat in for vet visits. It's crucial that we get baseline blood work so the vet can know when it's not normal. Um, Because I always give the example, I do a geriatric cat lecture and I give the example, your vets aren't just trying to take your money. They need baseline blood work because, for example, one of my cats just has a normal low white blood cell count. And if that was the first time that vet saw that, I would understand their concern versus I have years of my cat's blood work and we know that's normal for her. So talking to clients about vets aren't trying to take advantage of you. We all know that, but this is what they're saying. This is what they're thinking and letting them know your vets are awesome. The value of biannual blood work in a perfect world because I would love for every cat to get that as well as your analysis is crucial in detecting disease early on so we can treat it and your cats can live happier and healthier longer.
2: Do you find that strategies like asking the dog owners and other folks who are coming into our practice whether they have cats is effective? Do you think social media is effective in kind of capturing those other cats who aren't coming in um, where we could start getting them to come in? (laughs)
3: Yeah, I think that's really effective. The AFP actually has this really great pin that you can get for your staff that says, Meow if you have a cat. And most of your clients will be like there with their dog and they'll see your pin and it'll start a conversation. And then you find out they have three cats you've never seen. Or at the dog visit, you can ask, How does the dog get along with the cats? First off, that's a helpful open ended question to figure out how they work to make sure it's a good, cohesive thing at home. But also, you're like, oh, you have three other cats. It's really important that we see them. This is why. I'm also a huge fan of using social media to our benefit and posting videos, whether it's a a carrier training video or a video of a cat having a happy vet visit to kind of promote that pet visits don't have to be stressful. Because I'll be honest, based on most research and data, the big reason why owners don't bring cats to the veterinarian is because of the stress involved. So if you're promoting, carrier training, and this is a happy cat vet visit. These are the things we do to reduce stress for our cats. You're going to see a lot more clients as well as like carrier education, all that great stuff.
0: Well, Tabitha, let me also ask you something you haven't mentioned, and that is home visits, because, you know, that's one of the reasons why we started Fetch Vet, you know, back in Chicago five years ago or so uh, to try to reach feline patients. So what about going to where they are and where they're more comfortable?
3: I love that. I know that's not something that every veterinarian can do, but I do love in home vet visits because travel is really stressful for cats. And even though we can work with them to limit that stress, most clients are going to be very receptive to vets who go into the home. As a cat behavior consultant, I see a lot of issues in homes where I refer to veterinarians for additional diagnostics. And the first thing the clients ask me is Is there a vet that will come to my house? Right. So I would love to see more vets doing that because. Many more clients will be open to, to having their cats be seen for vet visits for that. That's a really good point, Dr. Ernie.
0: Well, well let, me, let me ask you a question because, you know, obviously I bring this up quite a bit and, you know, like you, active in AFP and others. And I have also heard the criticism that, wait a second, if you actually come into the cat's home environment where they are safe, you've now violated this trust and that could be the worst thing. And I'm not sure that I've experienced that personally going into homes, but d- would you like to comment on that criticism?
3: That's really interesting. I personally have not heard that or seen that. Um, I think as long as you're using feline friendly handling techniques right. along with some other techniques like pheromones and considered approach. Right. Obviously, even if you're an a veterinarian going into a home with a cat and you just see the cat in a being fearful and you grab it and start right, examining right, it, right. that's still not going to go well, but I think them being naturally in their home is going to just make them feel more comfortable. And honestly, I think the veterinarians visiting the homes of the cats is more comforting for the clients.
0: Absolutely, Mm -hmm. thank you, Tabitha. Yeah, yeah, and again, it's just one of those things that gets banded around, and I think we kind of make excuses to validate behaviors. (laughs) And it's a pain in the butt, and we don't have the resources, and maybe not even the training or comfort to go into the homes, and so we start to build up walls around it. But, I, but I like that. you. I mean, I've had the same experience, I think actually, when they're in control of the environment, that they're probably more comfortable just on a lot of levels. And certainly it benefits the client. So thank you.
2: Yeah. And when the clients are less anxious, then often the animal is that less is, anxious, yeah. shocking. <laughs>
0: right.
2: um, and, and I want to just ask another quick follow up question just about your certified cat behavior consultant. Um, certification to, just because I think that also a lot of veterinarians don't know about that. We know that there are a board certified veterinary behaviorists, but frankly, there aren't very many of them. And if you don't live in a major metropolitan area, you might not have access to those folks. So can you just speak to that and speak to, you know, again, what are some of the things that they test you guys on? I, I know it as a very highly respected certification and I would feel comfortable, um, referring a patient to um, a consultant like you if it was you know something where the patient needed advanced behavioral consultation so can you just speak to that a little bit unfortunately there's not a lot of
3: certifications that are specific to cats and even though I'm a dog trainer and I love dog training trainers many dog trainers aren't familiar with cats and cats behavioral issues right. so the certified cat behavior consultant certification is one of the leading certifications regarding cats and a few things that were tested on, is learning theory how cats learn medical issues that look like behavioral issues because that's a huge thing i see right so right. i think it's so important for us to be working with veterinarians because i'll be honest the majority of my clients that i'm seeing for cat behavior consults i'm the one that gets them to finally go to the vet um they kind of right. need that extra push <laughs> <Thank> you <laughs> So I love working together because I also, I'm lucky as a registered veterinary technician, I get to see a lot of cats in their homes and I see a lot of pain. I see a lot of abnormal gates. And this is where I help my client be an advocate for their cat. But I'm also helping the veterinarian because I tell clients, your vet's great, but your cat's a prey and predator animal, which makes them not show pain as well, as well as they're in fight or flight at the vet, which is another thing yeah. that <laughs> makes them not show as much pain. So I have my clients take videos of their cat's normal behavior. I recommend for every vet visit, clients take one to three videos about their cats just naturally walking, naturally jumping, and sharing that with their veterinarian because that's going to make your job so much easier.
2: What a great piece of advice. That's so awesome.
3: So I would ask, and I love to ask this
1: of my guests on a regular basis, their top three. So when we're talking about the cats, we do get in the clinic. You know, I love that we've talked about the fact that there are not enough coming in. And whether it's going to be getting them in the clinic, getting to their house, once we have them, give me your top three for a successful cat visit, because so many practices say we can't afford fear-free, we can't afford feline-friendly, we don't have time, those visits take too long. There's so much pushback from a lot of clinics. Um, I know it's
3: catching on more and more, but tell me your top three for
1: successful cat visits that no one can argue with.
3: My top three for successful cat visits is to teach clients the value of the visit, which we talked about a little bit. Right. Um, I do think providing feline-friendly handling is a pretty huge thing because you're going to see more cats. You're going to be able to get more diagnostics.
0: Cat-friendly is a great way to plug this. I mean, this yes. is yes. A-
3: Cat-friendly vets is a great resource. You can go online and check out a few things like a top 10 tips to do right now in your practice using pheromones. I know we've all heard about feelaway, but it's really affordable. It's a quick spray on a towel and it can really limit stress in our for our patients and for our clients because they're seeing their cats less stressed. And then as well, the third thing would be getting the cats in the room right away or creating a space where dogs aren't running up to them right away to sniff them out. And this can even be if you're in a hospital where that's not accessible to you. I have a lot of my cats. Just stay in the car and then the client just sends us a text or we send them a text when they're ready to come in so they can go right into a
2: room. That's awesome. That's awesome. So in addition to those awesome tips, I know you listed cat-friendly vets or or cat-friendly hospitals as a great resource. What other resources or books or lectures or symposia would you recommend for team members or for veterinarians who are interested in learning more about cat behavior? Maybe not on the level where they want a certification, But they just want to know more. If I had to
3: pick my three favorite books, um, because there's a lot of really great books out there. Um, Jackson Galaxy has some really great books that are really easy to read and just go over enrichment and cats' needs. And then The Trainable Cat by John Bradshaw and Sarah Ellis is a quick read, but goes over a lot of really great feline behavior tips that you can have your whole staff read easily on a weekend. And then Cat Sense by John Bradshaw are three really great resources to help educate your staff about what cats needs are so they can better educate clients.
1: Yeah. And dear major conferences who bring in (laughs) completely controversial speakers, uh, bring Jackson (laughs) Galaxy, would you? There's somebody we'd be happy to see.
2: (laughs) I love his tips. I'm not so down with the flower essences, but I do like his cat superhighway thoughts. Oh, Um, I love Those are fun. And yeah, I literally I had a team you. member, when I yeah. got his uh, catification book with like all the cool designs and do-it-yourself stuff, yes. uh, ended up being late picking up their kid because they were so <laughs> obsessed with the book. I so. love that so much. <laughs> I love I Jackson mean. Galaxy
3: because although he doesn't have certifications, I'll nope. be honest, as a veterinary technician, he was one of the first people I saw educating me about what a normal, like what cat's needs are. It wasn't a veterinary yeah. professional. It was him. And I'm right. not a huge fan of the flower essences as well because there's no scientific <laughs> evidence to back it up.
0: So well, I just a, usually a tell my clients
3: to <laughs> use other products instead, thing. but I don't throw shade either.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I got, yeah. I got to tell you, we talk about this a lot on the podcast and I, I you know, uncredentialed, unlicensed, self-proclaimed experts do give me a uh, concern. So yeah, well,
1: but to be fair, he does not self-proclaim any type of, revolutionary training (laughs) hey at
0: least he doesn't say i'm an animal behaviorist outright no
1: exactly and he carries around a guitar case come on (laughs) the jackson galaxy podcast it's coming it is coming
0: oh boy i'm just gonna close my mouth on this one (laughs) Uh, but tabitha regardless you do have the credentials you are a well-respected and experienced practitioner and i gotta tell you it has been a pleasure talking with you i want to thank you so much on behalf of the entire veterinary profession for all of the amazing stuff you're doing. Thank you, Tabitha. Thank you
3: so much for having me and sharing education to other veterinary professionals about how great vets and vet techs are, as well as how great cats are.
0: And where can people go to learn more about what you're up to and and maybe come see you speak or hear you or what, where can they go?
3: So most of my information is on my business website, which is chirrupsandchatter.com.
0: We will leave the link below. Well, you've heard what we have to say. Now we want to hear from you. What are you doing to encourage cat visits in your clinic? What are some of the credentials that you respect and admire? And what are you doing to help your feline patients? We want to hear from you
2: this also seems like a perfect opportunity for us to get more pictures of cats and cat videos on the <laughs> internet. So please find us on Instagram at veterinary viewfinder and on Facebook at vet viewfinder. We'd love to just see your personal cats or hear your crazy cat stories. Um, what kind of behavior problems in cats do you find the most challenging? I know for me, it's aggressive cats. So, or cats that have a uh, hypersensitivity. Spicy so cat. yeah, spicy cats. Yes, cat. cats. I love it. So, so let us know. Also let us know how spicy, I see you find the podcast. <laughs> I guess leave us a review on Apple iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to click
1: to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder.
0: Until next time, keep purring your way to feline perfection. Bye.
2: Bye. 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 See, because of you, I held off on any of my cat puns. I love it. Oh, oh, like I the never puns. have too many cat puns ever.
0: Oh gosh, I hear a lightning strike. Now I can hear cats speaking to me.
2: You you made the cat pun. <laughs> yes. What uh, is happening? Who are you?
0: Exactly. <laughs> mm.